0: Let's pray together. Christ, you have gone before us and shown us the way. It's not a reasonable way to us, but it is the way of life. God, by your spirit this morning, open us to the way of life. Open our ears, open our hearts and minds, our whole selves to receive what it is that you need to speak to us this morning. That we might be filled with your fullness and confident in your steadfast love. Amen. You are the light of the world. You are salty, God-flavored people. I'm sure you've noticed it doesn't take much, it doesn't take more than even a candle to fill a room with light. And make things visible which were just a moment ago dark. And just so, it doesn't take much of a contrast to the violence and resentment and name calling and alienating of our world to make people notice a difference. It doesn't take a lot of moving in the opposite direction for people to notice. Even one person experimenting with loving an enemy is enough for a whole neighborhood to chew on. And just a bit of salt, as anyone who's cooked knows, can flavor the whole stew. Just a bit of God flavor brings out something that people would not have tasted otherwise. I think as the church, we're often aware of how little we are as salt and seasoning, how little seasoning we seem able to do in the midst of huge systems and powers that threaten life and well-being. It seems like we have such a little amount of shalom seasoning to stir into this giant pot of anger and violence and ignorance. But this is who we are. This is what we are. We're not the protein or the fat or even the vegetables, but the salt. And nobody even wants a whole pile of salt in their dinner or a high-powered searchlight on their front porch. Small and savory seems to be the way God chooses to work. For example, Yunus Almahasna might and probably will face less than loving experiences in his time in middle school and neither we nor his parents will be able to protect him from the lack of love in the world but when he sees a member of our welcome team or a kid who knows what respect and love are meant for his life will continue to be flavored with compassion. And he will have reasons to believe that he is beloved, reasons that extend beyond his own family. The light in us is obstructed, I think, when either fear gets the better of us or when we think that, that we are the ones responsible for saving the world and making all things new. I think we run this risk when instead of living from a grounded place of trust in God, we busy ourselves trying to make ourselves saltier or searching for some extra fuel that will make our light burn brighter as if we had the capacity to do that. When I look at our congregation, I don't see you trying to stick your light under a bucket or a basket and hide it away. If anything, it's the opposite of maybe we're trying to do these things. Maybe we're trying to be more than we are to power our own light. The flavor that we can carry into the world is what God has given us. So I'm inviting us to stay awake to our source so that we can keep seasoning our part of the world just as we are meant to, not more and not less. Because not staying connected to that source, the alternatives to that are really unappealing. And you've probably experienced this. To try to follow Jesus without the power of the Spirit of God is utterly exhausting. It's a hopeless cause, and it will plunge us into despair. But instead, as Paul says in Corinthians, from the passage, verse five, 4 and 5, your life of faith is a response to God's power, not some fancy mental or emotional footwork by me or anyone else. What if the one thing we knew for sure is that the mending of the world, the salvation of the world, comes always in the least expected shape and form? It comes out of an apparent lost cause, from something that feels like a devastating defeat of all that is right and good. For Jesus' friends at the time, can you imagine what could have been worse? What could have been worse than his violent imprisonment and death? And yet, God's wisdom is to bring life out of exactly such a situation. Doing justice, loving the way of compassion, and walking humbly with our creator flows from an intimate acquaintance with Christ and him crucified. A stumbling block, as the first chapter of 1 Corinthians says, a stumbling block, a foolishness, a scandal, this unjust killing of an innocent man from a minority ethnic group under the corrupt laws of a ruthless empire. Hmm, I mean, it's good we don't have that kind of thing happening anymore. And yet, in his dying and rising, the power of God is revealed. It doesn't make any sense in human wisdom. But in this giving of Christ's self, division and alienation are overcome and we are saved. We are saved from our sin of believing that we are the saviors. We are saved from the guilt of not being enough or not doing enough, not doing enough good. We are set free from our need to prove ourselves, And we are delivered from our blind belief that we know best what the world needs. So that your faith may rest not on human wisdom, but on the power of God. The power of God is shown through Christ's inner posture of trust and openness and release releasing himself into the hands of the one who judges justly. Chapter 1 calls it God's foolishness because love is always risky and foolish and not a sure thing. It always hurts. It's inefficient in getting things done. And love also happens to be the essence of God. And our only hope for the well-being of the earth, its creatures, and all of the cosmos. And it comes in humility. With great power, yes. Just not with force. None of the rulers of this age understood this. Verses 8 and 9. For if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen... Nor ear has heard, nor the human heart conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. What does it mean to know nothing but Christ and him crucified? Peterson, in uh, his the message translation, says he's keeping it plain and simple. Well... It seems like it's hard to imagine the crucifixion or um, or describing the meaning of the crucifixion as simple but I think we kind of know what he's getting at staying focused and letting Christ's life and radical trust in God speak for themselves not trying to make a fancy argument about it not trying to convince people with his own wisdom but letting the life of Christ and the death of Christ speak now this again we might have a bit of an allergy to this Eddie's chestnut. We don't we don't like someone saying, "We didn't learn this from books. We didn't learn this from going to school." That's valuable. Those things are valuable. What is not knowing anything? Why should we not know anything except Christ crucified? What does that even mean? Of course, we all know lots of things and and for many of us it's really important for our vocation for our calling that we have studied and learned. And obviously Paul valued study and learning, and he couldn't have been the teacher he was without it. The invitation here is not to forget everything we know or even to devalue the kind of knowing that we use in our work and our vocations but there's an invitation to participate in a different kind of knowing, to know with the heart, to perceive God at the heart level, the place of our inward being, the only place that can understand the ways of God's love and wisdom and to experience, to experience the love That is undergirding all things. To let go of controlling in order to have space for receiving and perceiving the otherwise baffling wisdom of God. God's spirit and our spirits in open communion. Spiritually alive, we have access to everything God's spirit is doing we have access to everything God's spirit is doing. When we are in this place of communion with God, when we experience that kind of access to God's spirit and stay awake and open to this flow of God in us and through us, we also have the capacity then to invite others into this flow and to invite them into this way of being that is so different from our automatic responses to each other when we're in conflict. Human wisdom says, stand your ground and take power so that you can make things come out right. Our God instead comes to us in the vulnerability of Jesus, powerful, yes, in teaching and healing and yet never coercing our love and not seizing a top-down power. This kind of radical trust is not possible without a vital connection with the Spirit of God. And it is only by the power of the Spirit that we take a hungry or desperate person into our house, as Isaiah says. It is only by the power of the Spirit that we may undo the bonds of oppression and set prisoners free. Only by the Spirit that we can release our grip on the things that we want, that we might be able to release our grip on our money, which we think is ours, on our property, which we think we earned. It's only by the power of the Spirit of God that we can even understand that everything we have is a gift to be shared, and that we might have that kind of openness and not do it out of duty or guilt. If this is triggering any guilt in you, please, I ask that you make a conscious effort to release that as well because God's empowering is a joyful and a spacious empowering. As Todd said the other week, the yoke of Christ is a yoke that fits us, it's something we can wear with ease because it fits us well. So hear me, especially you feminists, hear me when I say we need to be releasing and we have to die and we have to give up and open. It's not giving up the fight, it's not giving up an outward fight that might need to be waged on behalf of justice and goodness and all that is right. It's an inward releasing, and it is gentle, and it is willing. When Paul talks about the unspiritual, that sounds also very foreign to us. What is this unspiritual? What does that mean? And I imagine that it's the ways that we are living out of what some have called our false self, the protected self, the the in-control self the self that has a tight grip on needing to, yeah, to be in control. And it's that that we are opening. It's in that way that we have an emptying or an opening of our hands. Because the power of the gospel comes through this strange Galilean who was so consumed by divine love and so secure in his experience of being held and known and beloved that he had nothing to lose. Sisters and brothers, we are, by God's grace, a people with nothing to lose. People who are surrendered to love know that there is nothing that can be taken from them, even their lives, because the flow of life that they're immersed in is unending, flowing from God and back to God. And we are swimming in this flow of love and life. What would it be like if we became convinced from our experience of God that outpouring love is the most powerful energy in the universe and holds all things? if we have access to the depths of God, we participate in God's endless giving and spilling over of God's love. For our own enjoyment, yes, let us think of enjoying God more often. And also, our participation in this constant flow of love is also for our empowerment. If we act even act for justice from our own defenses and understandings and not from a place of communion and inner freedom, I wonder if we really are choosing our responses or if we're still getting stuck in a cycle of reacting and reacting. I'm saying this as I've said it before, Whatever amount of desire you have to commune with God, pursue that. I so desperately desire that we can bring together this, this disconnection between the contemplative life and the active activist, maybe, life, that as if some of us are called to one and some of us are called to the other, they can't be separated in the life of God. A lively connection in our depths with the Spirit of God is the only thing that will sustain us for the work that is ours to do, for the seasoning that is ours to do in the world. And if we are open to receive the mind of Christ, which comes through our communion with the Spirit of Christ, we will shine with a light that is not our own. I found myself connecting with the verse for 2017 as I reflected on this, being empowered in God's spirit because of the way that Jesus combines rest and taking on the yoke and continuing to learn and continuing to be students of Christ. So I would like us to recite that verse and even to pray it as we we say it together now you can test me because I'm up here without my bulletin so I'm just going to go for it you can yell out if there's any um, error here from Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30 um, go ahead and say it every, say it back to me. We'll go call in response. Matthew 11:28 to 30. 11, 28 to 30. Come to me. Come to you. All you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens. All you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens. And I will give you rest. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. souls. For For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Today we have a time of anointing. And I would like for you to consider whether you would like the anointing of God's spirit for your empowerment if you would like to be anointed for power to go out and live from that place of divine love that is ever springing forth within us and so if you have something that is in need of healing please come for that as well but leaders and, um, and disciples um, are also commissioned and blessed with God's spirit to go out and to be salty in the best way and to be the light of Christ. And so come for empowering, come for healing, come desiring that deep communion with our Creator.